What I don't get, and what drives me so I'm from Oklahoma, and tornado there. The tornado watches are it's like an art form. Everything is beautifully orchestrated and you know exactly what's going on. And then in Ohio, with the tornadoes here happen around like really early in the morning for the most part, which is extremely dangerous because most people are asleep. And you don't know jack on what's going on. The news don't cover it. The, the tornado sirens are going off. And I'm like, what the fuck do I do? Is it near me? <laughs> I don't have a Doppler radar. How can I do this? Oh, it's that's awful. Interesting. Anyway, that's my that's my rant. <laughs> you know what you know what they need? They need a tornado watch AI. And that would just solve all their problems. Hey, I like that segue. <laughs> uh, so I guess we should we should probably kick off on there. Yes, go for it. Uh, so welcome to Splitting the Veil episode five. Uh, my name is Jordan. I have a YouTube channel called The Exalted March. And my name is Katie. I have a YouTube channel called Giller Thalin. And so this is our podcast. If this is your first one, we've got a few under our belt now. We generally talk about Bioware-related topics, mainly Dragon Age and Mass Effect. Uh, One day, who knows, we might be talking about Anthem. But for the most part, we tend to stick to Dragon Age uh, lore, Mass Effect sort of themes and issues within the series. Um, Today, as we we segue in from talking about tornado warning systems to artificial (laughs) intelligence... Uh, we kind of thought it might be an interesting topic to uh, to discuss AI, artificial intelligence, within the Mass Effect universe. It's obviously one of the central themes, one of the main themes of the series. And um, this is kind of an impromptu topic. We kind of came up with this topic last minute, but I always feel like, like there's a lot of juice that you can get out of this. Because AI and sci-fi is such a massive topic overall. Mm-hmm. And there's certain things that I really like about about how Mass Effect um, did it. Although I am kind of stuck. I'm trying to sit here and like vamp and think of like, if there was a tornado warning AI, how would it go wrong? And I'm like, you know, it's pretty good. Like there's no, there's no like, hey, we created synthetics to wipe out human life every 50,000 years so they don't get wiped out by synthetics. I don't think there's, is there that loophole with tornadoes? Like how does a tornado warning AI go wrong? I, I guess the only way you can make it go wrong is that it suddenly just has unlimited access to, like, the sirens. So you, like, just for shits and giggles, like, imagine if you got, like, a prankster-like <laughs> AI and just turns it on in random times. So I, that's, I think, the worst. Oh, 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 actually, or if it just doesn't do its job and so everyone dies from a tornado, that would probably be the worst, actually. <laughs> the <laughs> most just, obvious <laughs> answer, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. <laughs> Somebody there forgot to change the batteries. <laughs> it's taking its day off. It's like, eh, no thanks. I, I kind of want to catch up on my soaps. Or what? Or what if it just becomes really lonely and it just figures that the only way to get more AI friends is to just mess up on purpose, and then that way somebody thinks, well, what we need is a second AI. Oh, okay. It just wants an AI lover. It's like the Angaran AI. It just wants to. Be BFFs with Sam. That's true. Uh, so, what what um, series AI do we want to start with? Do we want to start with like Matt, like uh, the the OG trilogy, or do we want to start with uh, Andromeda? I think that's I think that's kind of yeah. That's one of the most interesting things is comparing the two because before we started recording, we were talking about kind of the difference between the original trilogy take on AI and the one that we get in Andromeda. Um, It is a little bit derivative in Andromeda, but I do feel like there was more richness. There was a little more... I think the original trilogy kind of subverted expectations a bit more. Um, Mm -hmm. So 
I mean, I guess the one to start off with is Edie, right? Like, she kind of feels like the the quintessential, sort of the one that everyone got most attached to, I think. Well, there's also Legion, yeah. of course, but... Um, yeah. Le- Le- the, the, the differences I see between them, though, is Legion, I think the fans collected as like, oh, look at this cute little pumpkin. Like, we're going to take care of him and make him safe. <laughs> and then Edie was kind of like, yeah, my girl, you get Joker. Like, there's a difference in fan opinion, I almost, where Legion was a cute little child learning, and then Edie was like felt more adult in a way, which I hope so, because she was looking at porn, but like. (laughs) (laughs) I never got the whole collect Legion as a pet thing, man. I sold him, I sold him to Cerberus for 10,000 credits just to see what would happen one time. And I think another time I shot him out the, yeah, I think I shot him out the airlock also. Who are you? (laughs) It's like. What? It's one of those great things of like, by the time you're on your ninth playthrough of Mass Effect 2, you're just like. Sure, why not shoot him out the airlock, see what happens? I, I, okay, I, I can't diss you for that, because I have totally given Fenris back to Daenerys one time just to see what would happen. Uh-huh. I, that I was the air shock take Isabella. Oh, oh, yeah. All the time. Fuck her, man. No. Uh, but, okay, so if it was just, I thought you meant, like, on your first playthrough, like, ah, fuck this piece of junk. <laughs> no, no. But, okay. A little bit more forgivable. That first conversation, though, with um, with Legion, I mean, that's one of the, that is one of the, I think, one of the most iconic, or at least certainly for me personally, one of the most memorable moments in the Mass Effect series when you start mm-hmm. talking to a guest. That's kind of one of my one of my favorite um, subversions of your expectations. Like, it goes from zero to a hundred real quick. Like, you, all of a sudden, like, there's a guest shooting at you. It has a piece of N7 armor. It's talking. And all of a sudden, you're like, you know, within the span of 20 minutes, you're having like a full conversation with a Geth, whereas mm-hmm. there was really no indication that the Geth were anything other than just like cannon fodder enemies from Mass Effect 1. And so all of a sudden, like, you're talking with Legion and it has a name and it's like really cool and making like <clears throat> scriptural references and like Earth human centric <laughs> references. And you're like, whoa, mm-hmm. what the fuck is going on? Mm hmm. I don't know. I just thought that that was one of the one of the you know I don't know that there's that there's anything similar to that as far as like surprises around artificial intelligence anywhere in Andromeda. Yeah, the the Andromeda ones. So the only two that I could remember is: Are we going to count um, uh, Avina? Like that's that's not really AI. I was thinking. Well, Avina. I was actually not thinking Avina, but I kind of felt like. Um. Uh, uh. What's it? Uh. Virgil, right? Because the Prothean VIs feel way smarter than the than like the the human or Asari VIs. They almost seem like AI. So I didn't know whether or not to count them either. I don't know, because like in, in how I remember the series, because I I am not the Mass Effect Lord nerd like you are. You are the king here. But um, <laughs> how I remember it is that there are, like, two types of AIs. There's the ones that are just, like, kind of like Avena, where, it, like, it has a certain programming and it's limited to that. And then there's ones like Edie and uh, the Geth, which actually have almost like a... Does this unit have a soul, essentially? So I I would almost count, like, Avena not towards that. I don't know about the one you're... I don't even remember the one you're referring to, the Virgil. That's the... If I'm getting the name right, I believe I am. That's the one where when you are on Ilos and you're... It's Mass Effect 1 and you're going towards... Um, uh, uh, yeah. the, that's, like, the, near the end of the game. 
Yeah, right at the or, end when you're trying to stop Saren from taking the back door into the Citadel and you get stopped by a VI and it's a Prothean VI that was managing all of the stasis pods, mm-hmm. uh, the, the last remaining Protheans on Ilos. Mm-hmm. And that's the base. That's It's kind of like a little bit of like, deus, not deus ex machina, but it's definitely an info dump where you basically get all of the revelations around what the... Um, what the beacons are for and what Saren's actually been doing and what the, what the, um, uh, the keepers are for mm-hmm. on the Citadel. So, yeah. And so that's like, that is described as a virtual intelligence as a VI, but it's like, okay, Avina's a VI and she's really stupid mm-hmm. and Virgil's a VI Prothean. And he's like, seems like an infinite intelligence. So it seems more like they are more like true AIs. Okay. Um, versus like yeah Avina and then Edie which is the very interesting thing about what, what we learn about Edie is she started off as a virtual intelligence she's she is the um, alliance military VI on Luna on the mm-hmm. on Earth's moon uh, there's that one side quest from ME1 where it's it's not it's not very interesting from a story standpoint initially it's basically just I don't know if you remember it's just a bunch of rocket turrets like yeah. you basically you basically have to say you get a distress signal like there's an alliance base on the moon. It's going nuts. Like we need Shepard to go and check it out. I was so excited for when the first time I played it because I thought we were going to get to see like more Earth content. Mm-hmm. And basically you're just on the moon. You clear out those four bases that are filled with fucking rocket turrets. It's like an, it's so impossible to beat on insanity or whatever. <laughs> And then when you destroy the console, it has the um, it has the binary. The binary code comes up, and of course, somebody figured out that the binary was um, you know H E L P help, uh, and it was it was this V I that had gained sentience. And then later, I, I think it's not until Mass Effect three when we learn that Cerberus goes retrieves that V I from the Luna base and develops it into E D. Oh, I forgot about that. That's really interesting. Wasn't there, um, okay, so in, uh, somehow I bring it back to Andromeda, um, there's the side quest where, like, Amina gets fucked up or something, and she's, like, going down with AI, they're gonna kill us all, and then you, you do the side quest, and you find out, um, it's some woman who is somehow related to the original series, and can't remember what, who, like, accidentally killed a bunch of people with AI or something, and so now she's trying to, like, kill Sam to free us. No, I I, I want to remember, and I actually have only done that side quest in Andromeda once, I think, because I think mm-hmm. my second playthrough I'm kind of stalled on right now. Um, but if I'm not mistaken, her connection to the original trilogy was through the Overlord DLC. Oh, that's it. And I didn't play that, so I don't remember it. That's why. <laughs> and I can't remember if, um, if the actual, if the main guy who's hooked into the... Um, into the Overlord thing, if, if that was, if she had some direct relation to him, or I think, no, I think her son was one of the other people in the Overlord project. Mm-hmm. Uh, David, I think, was the name of the of the actual subject uh, in Overlord. Um, yeah, David Archer. And, and this, I think what we learn in that side quest is that, yeah, there's another person that was in that, and I think that's her son, and that's why she's all down with AI. Mm-hmm. Which I now we're just talking about drama again. I I felt even though I have not played the Overlord DLC, I felt like it was kind of silly that the way to fix this was just take Sam and like fix the dude's back. Like I don't know, I felt like too easy. You know what I mean? 
Oh, definitely. No, it, it's and it's um, it's shallow, and it's also kind of a letdown in the sense that the Overlord DLC, from a gameplay standpoint, it's not that interesting. But mm-hmm. especially like the final scene and like the implications of it of like using a human sort of host to sort of like help power cognitive abilities of of this sort of networked AI that's really interesting and it's tragic and it's like brutal to look at that final scene and how emotional it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the connection to overlord DLC is cool, but it's so minor. And like you said, the actual, the actual scene itself is just like Omni tool button press, Sam fixed you and everybody. So yeah, it's kind of underwhelming. Yeah. Which I, we were talking about earlier, the differences between Sam and Edie. I uh, I think we both felt that, like, Sam felt, like, more computerist and perfect and kind of a little bit boring. And, uh, granted, there was, like, that whole joke aspect, but it kind of, like, was like, oh, aren't you cute, pat-pat. But, like, Edie felt more like a person to me. Like, in, and uh, Legion, too. Like, they were people, they had questions, they didn't know things, and they, they had flaws. Where I feel like Sam, like, even though they had questions, we answered them, and they're like, ah, oh, gotcha, now I know everything about it. Yeah, no, I think um, they both did, right? Like, even Legion kind of, I wouldn't say he struggled with it, but there is that great scene between him and, well, there's multiple great scenes between him and Tally, mm-hmm. um, obviously because of the Geth Corian situation, but, like, especially the one where I can't, it's in Mass Effect 2, I believe, where you have to have a, a really high Paragon or Renegade check to to not lose one of their loyalty, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um that's that's an interesting one, man. Like, I remember the first time I think I, for whatever reason, I didn't have the Paragon or, or Renegade high enough to pass the check. Mm-hmm. And I just went with, like, a regular option that was, like, lower lower left or something like that. And it's crazy because I'd never seen that dialogue. In Legion, like, <laughs> like the fucking claws come out. Like the fucking the, the Geth claws come out, and he says something to the effect of like my my civilization will not be destroyed again or something. Like I had never seen the non, um, you know, the non like red or blue Paragon Renegade option because I'd always had enough points to check it. Mm. And so when I went with the regular dialogue option, like just seeing that dialogue come out of Legion, I'm like, oh no, I kind of do get it. Like I think Tally might be right. I think we need to shoot this guy out the goddamn airlock. <laughs> I think I, I think it was on the next playthrough that I that I was like no no let's just see what happens if we shoot him out the airlock. <laughs> yeah yeah. I, so uh, on the on the Geth versus Corian, do you have an opinion on which one's better or they're they're both or what? I mean, I do think obviously that they take they take a good amount of time to make it even and to make it you know so that people have the debate. Obviously, that that's what makes it interesting is that it's not black and white. But I do tend to fall and I always have kind of fallen on the side of like kill all the fucking robots like don't trust them. Mm -hmm. I I gotta say I'm the same because Tally is like my favorite character. I'm really weird. I have very specific likes when it comes to my female characters and Tally just hits all the marks and I love her to death. And so I all like if for some reason I... Uh, even though when I, I played the, like, Legion's last mission, uh, I had enough to, like, make a truce. In my mind, is like, if I fuck this up, Tally's winning. Like, I'm sorry, dude. You, you do have a soul, and I'm going to murder yep. your civilization. <laughs> but Tally's my girl. I can't just not. Oh, uh, so. that's amazing. Like, yes, you have a soul, and I'm going to send it straight to robot <laughs> hell. 
Sorry, man. Nothing personal. Like, <laughs> I can't. I can't just not side with Tally. She. She is my my my. Uh, her and Aveline are like my personification of what I. I feel like I am. So I need to protect them. Um, how does how does Legion? How, how many ways can Legion die? You can stab him, right? But then Tally shoots him with a shotgun if you don't stab him, right? I don't even remember. The only one I remember you definitely can do is um, at the very, very end, you shoot him um, if he doesn't stop the uploading the code to the rest of his buddies. Oh, and you can shoot him multiple times, right? With the renegade I, uh, interrupt? I See, I never did the renegade interrupt, so I don't know. But probably. That would be very renegade. <laughs> yeah, I think I remember. It's, it's either him or... No, Morden is only once. I think I think it's with Legion where it's like renegade interrupt and i was playing it i normally play with controller so it's like right trigger and mm. then another one comes up right trigger again like right trigger again I think uh. you can shoot him like three times oh wow i wonder what happens if you don't do all three times that's another interesting like, one i think maybe tally jumps in and shotguns him <laughs> maybe i don't know okay i have actually have a random story about does this unit have a soul do, do you uh have an amazon echo uh, I do not, but I've played around with a couple of them, yeah. So, fun fact, I don't have one either, but my, my parents do. Fun facts: if you ask the thing, does this unit have a soul, it will answer back Keyless Alive. Oh, and that's crazy. Isn't it cute? So, I my parents got one, and I was over for the holidays, and I was like, oh, I want to try this out. Like, Mom, Dad, check this out. So, I asked, does this unit have a soul, which they don't know anything about Mass Effect, and it just pipes back Keyless Alive. So, me and my husband are like, oh, it's so cute. And then my mom <laughs> starts freaking out. She's like, is that demonic speak? I'm like, no, Mom. <laughs> So, like, I'm sitting there trying to explain why this is a really cute and impactful moment for their little Amazon Echo. And Mom's like, well, that's just weird. Why would they choose some weird alien made-up language? I'm like, okay, Mom. Oh, that is so... You know what? I think I want to say that we got my parents an Echo as well, like, mm-hmm. a couple Christmases ago. And now I'm going to have to try that. Because their reaction, my mom's reaction would be the exact same. <laughs> Please do it. Cause, one, because it's really cute just to hear it say, and then two, like this, parents like overreacting about fantasy elements is the best. Like my mom, when I, when I was getting married, um, my, my mom was very against um, like uh, D&D because it's of the devil. And uh, <laughs> so I had been playing for a couple of years. And when I was getting married, I sat down with my mom and was like, mom. I think it's time to know how much of a big fucking nerd your child is. So I sat down. I was like, I've been doing D&D for a couple of years. And she was like, she was like, Katie, why would you do this? Are you, and you ain't going to church? I'm like, no, mom. Uh. I, like, it was, <laughs> I broke my mom's heart. She got over it quickly, but it was. So was it a and d oh, wedding? Is that why you told her? No, no. It was just kind of like, it was, that was the last moment. Like it was, it, it, it it kind of fit into the mood of the moment. Like, I'm, it's the last time I'm their little girl type of oh, bullshit. I gotcha. <laughs> so it was just kind of like, oh, by the way, here's everything I was doing behind your back. Kind of thing. <laughs> so, which was like, I played D&D. I wasn't doing drugs. I wasn't doing anything bad. Like, I played D&D. Like, and that was the mom was like, my mom was like, no, what? <laughs> Why? <laughs> I've always told my parents similar things. I'm like, you realize that you're lucky your child's a nerd, right? Like, I stay in inside i play video games <laughs> that's what i i think that's what m- mom eventually calmed down about she's like well i guess if that's the worst thing <laughs> so, right 
But it, it, I, I don't know. Parents, parents, like, man. How do we I'm get like, to parents to AI? I'm sorry, that's my fault. Well, here, I'll, I'll bring it back. I'll go. Look, mom, dad. The worst thing I've ever done is I shot my robot friend Legion three times, not once, three times. <laughs> and I liked it. <laughs> Uh, so okay so legion yeah so like yeah i guess what what got us started on that was like the flaws of of kind of legion and Edie as well mm-hmm. and it's interesting it, it was always interesting to kind of see legion especially in that moment too like it's not that he's evil but yeah pushed into a corner like the the guest claws come out and then sort of in a way it's like it's scary because he's an ai he is a robot and he's asserting like no you will not kill me you will not kill my people but oddly enough that's like the most human or organic reaction that any alive thing has is like self-preservation and backed into a corner like i'm gonna Mm -hmm. fight for my life um and Edie kind of has a similar thing i guess going back to her as her vi origin but in a way i think Edie kind of has that one conversation in me3 where she's just like um what is it like she's talking about altering her self-preservation instincts to potentially include self-sacrifice for the crew Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. I don't remember any of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I, I, I don't remember it specifically, but I know, I love those uh, conversations that you have. Like, there's multiple ones in ME three where she's like, "Shepard, I need to talk," you know. And you know, it's mm-hmm. like one of these esoteric sort of philosophical <laughs> questions about consciousness. And like those, were, I mean, that's some of my favorite content um, period around AI because it seems malleable, and she seems like a very reasonable. AI who is very cognizant of her limitations. She's very she's 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 sort of different from from Legion in that sense. And that Legion is like, no, this is what I am. I'm I'm not you. I'm not organic. And why would I be? Like I'm Geth R Geth, and he doesn't really have as much um qu- as much question about it. Edie is like this great plot device or or character microcosm where as the audience as the player you just get to sort of like. I don't know. You just—it's like a weird. Those sidebar conversations are like a weird loophole to just have nerdy conversations about AI, mm-hmm. and and there is one where she's talking about like I have self-preservation instincts, and they're supposed to just be like strictly. Um, well, she has safeguards put in by Cerberus, so she doesn't go crazy. But she's talking about like, just should I change sort of some of these safeguards and protocols to include sacrificing myself for the crew or something to that effect, which I thought was a mind blowing moment. Cause I'm just like, wow, like that is something sort of inherently, I don't know, familial or human or organic. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was a really cool thing to watch from her. I don't know. Also her relationship with Joker. Like I always thought that was really cute. My, my husband's favorite character was Joker and I liked Edie a lot. Mm-hmm. So we were like, oh, aren't we cute? But, um, I, I, Although I enjoyed the relationship between Edie and Joker a lot, he loved it. He was all over it. He he like just got a big kick out of it. So I, it, in a weird way, it kind of reminds me of. Um, have you heard of this movie coming out called Shape of Water? I have not. It's a new. It's the new Guillermo del Toma movie, and like Tumblr is like having a fit about, like in a good way, having a fit about it because it's essentially Beauty and the Beast, uh, where it's uh, this woman goes in. She's like, it's this deaf woman, and she like is going to be working for the government or something, and she falls in love with the fish man. That's essentially the the movie. So it's <laughs> it's this not typically 
human thing or something that's not really seen as a human and a human falls in love with it. It's just that general story. And I have always had a soft spot for that kind of stuff. And I think you really get a sense of that with Joker and Edie. Joker, I think, had a thing for Edie before the body. And it's a really, I think it's a wonderful love story. And I'm so glad they included that because it is interesting to think about like their relationship how is that going to one his uh brittle bone disease how is that going to work with mega ultra powerful Edie? right and then also it, but it's i i kind of also want to segue this into like the original series did so many interesting things with ai like falling in love with it is it actually a soul um uh like the, the collective mind and becoming its own people kind of thing when they were going into andromeda what new story were they going to tell? Because it seems like a lot of the AI that we saw with Sam and the one on Valed, it it kind of just felt rehashed a little bit. Like, Sam kind of just felt like a toned-down Edie a little bit, and the one on Valed just kind of... Like an angry um, a legion, but without its people behind it. Like, it didn't feel new. It didn't feel exciting. It just kind of felt like, oh, all right. Yeah, I think, I think that's... Um... Sam felt like everything about AI from the original trilogy with all the holes plugged up. Mm-hmm. It was it was like all of the AI stuff from the original trilogy, but every time there was a legitimate cause for concern um, in the in the original trilogy, it's like, well, AI can't uh, really understand organic life, and so it won't have any need for organic life. And they're like, no, 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 Sam is symbiotic with Ryder, so it understands humanity and no problem. It's like they just mm-hmm. plugged up all of the interesting complications, I felt. And that's exactly yeah. what makes AI interesting is the complications, is the fact that it could legitimately be a bad thing or it could legitimately be the next step forward in human evolution, et cetera. I did feel like they, uh, like we were talking with Overlord, they, they like hinted at it and like kind of gently caressed the idea and then walked away from it. Like, oh, you know, don't aren't you worried that this thing is connected to your head? And like when you're uh, in the Archon base and it like kills you momentarily and everyone's like, huh, that seems worrisome. But like they don't actually ever do anything about it. Like, I think like if Andromeda was to get a sequel, I'd be really interested to have like what happens when Sam gets really pissed off at you. Right. And that would be interesting to see, like, perhaps if you um, killed the AI in Valed, maybe, like, Sam's like, why did you, like, that thing is like me. Why did you do that? And, like, you actually get some repercussions for it. Because I felt like killing the AI versus uh, saving the AI in Valed, it was just kind of like, eh, whatever. Eh. So. You know, actually, I mean, as you're talking, you you just, like, sparked, like, a crazy idea in my head as you were talking about what Mm -hmm. happens when Sam gets really mad. That is a phenomenal concept. And it actually, for me, it sparked this idea of essentially that Sam is like a party member, even though you can't like, well, no, you can. You can have those little side conversations in your cabin with Sam. And of course, Mm -hmm. we know that in Bioware games, one of the most interesting, like impactful, dramatic moments that that are part of the series in Mass Effect and Dragon Age is when you have the opportunity to choose whether or not you kill a squad mate, a party member. Yes. And... I think in in that moment with Legion is so interesting because he is up against the wall and he is sort of faced with his own survival. So on two levels. One, how interesting would it have been if you were able to kill Sam by like removing him, like taking mm-hmm. him out of your brain? But then uh, because, you would have died though. <clears throat> well, they, that's true. That from a lore standpoint, it is kind of locked in that way in Andromeda. Um, mm-hmm. But I do remember in in pre-release, like especially on the on the 
our Mass Effect subreddit, I was one of the people, and there were many people who were saying, you know, AI integration, synthesis ending, you know, all of the stuff that Cerberus was trying to do. That was a major point of contention in the original trilogy, pro and con. We should definitely have the option at some point in Andromeda. We were hoping to say, no, I don't want this thing in my body and have a way to get rid of it. Yeah. They didn't they didn't even come close to that. They're at no point are you really even able to express that much doubt over it, which I know mm-hmm. a lot of players felt frustrated with. So, yeah, number one, how interesting would it be if there was an opportunity to remove Sam and get rid of him and watch him sort of fight for his own survival? But two, and this is really sort of like oddly philosophical, um but interesting from a thematic standpoint, what if there were some sort of situation that caused that sort of caused Ryder to have to face his or her um, diminished ability without Ryder, but that they had a moral obligation to remove Ryder. Something to the effect of, I don't know. Do you mean sort of Sam? Fi- or No, I'm sorry. Yeah, Sam. It's a okay. Ryder ha- having to remove Sam. Mm-hmm. Um, something to the eff- something equivalent to a destroy option at the end of Mass Effect 3. You know, something that would cause... Sam to have to be deactivated or destroyed, but it would save a bunch of other people. You know, and that the player has to really make that cool. choice. That now now I'm like imagining like somehow at the end, um the what's the like inverted planet? Is that the meridian? Where it's like the the, the planet where the part where you live on is on the inside. Yeah, meridian. Uh, meridian. Okay. So uh maybe like the meridian like isn't powered up completely and needs that extra bit of power, or like maybe like the Meridian was primed to be like, an AI needs to take care of this place, um, but doing so, you have to sacrifice yourself because Sam needs to be the one to be the AI to control like the weather patterns or something like that, where, where you're like, right. oh shit, for this thing to work out, for my people to have a home, I have to die. Or like, I don't want to do this. We can easily, uh, we have plenty of planets we can go live on and share with the uh, uh, the Jaws race and Garen. Uh, so I think that would have been a really cool ending and that probably would have given a lot more weight because I I do feel like even though I do like the happy endings and I like having the choice of happy endings, Mass Effect and Drama just ended up being like, well, well everything's alright now, hooray because <laughs> it was Boy Scout it was the Boy Scout ending so. it, it, it was the um, yeah, it was the Boy Scout ending or I don't know how to I, I, so I felt like they were really trying to go for like a really triumphant Avengers-esque Sort of like we're super cool beyond anything that's ever been this cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which, like, at the same time, like, I, it, having done like all the side quests to get like the good ending where the ship captain survives. That was like the only difference between the endings. It's kind of like, yeah. yay, everyone survived. I did it. But after the end, I was like, I forgot about it. <laughs> like, I'm done. But I don't forget the Mass Effects original ending where i just kind of felt like laid there for a while and go oh god what have i done yeah (laughs) which i think that's what sticks with you that's why people are going to remember the original series more than uh the og series and like even in the um the the mass effect one and mass effect two like i i'll admit i don't remember two as much because i did everything right i succeeded but in the first game i didn't know the choice. I I even forget what the choice is now, but I accidentally killed the Galactic Council. And uh-huh. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> yeah, that big so, choice at the end of ME1 is not entirely clear when they're like, send the, send the Alliance fleet or send the Alliance fleet. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't know. I The way I remember it, it like 
to me, it read like either save a whole bunch of civilians or save the Galactic Council or something like that, or like save this one tiny ship versus a bunch of ships. So I was like, oh, well, I'll choose the bunch of ships. There's more people. But then it was like, oh, but those are the important people. And then like the rest of the series, they kept saying like, oh, but you killed the Galactic Council, you big <laughs> asshole. I'm like, I thought I saved a whole bunch of other people. Isn't that more important? I don't know. Which you, you mentioned synthesis, so now I want to talk about it. Um, yes. What was your canon ending for Mass Effect? Um, destroy. <laughs> Red, blue, or green? Destroy, <laughs> destroy, 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 destroy. I've never picked anything but destroy. And in all my, as many playthroughs as I've done, I've done so many playthroughs. I've shot um, Grunt out the airlock. I've shot Legion out the airlock. I've... I want to believe those are the same ones and that Shepard just really liked using airlock. <laughs> yes, he did. He was a motherfucker. I mean, he was just... <laughs> I remember my head, my head role play was because I thought that that would be interesting. Like at some point in in the multiverse of Mass Effect, there would have to be a shepherd who was just like, "Why did you bring me back? Like, why did you bring me back? You know, I like, wanted to die." Yeah, he's just like, "Fuck <laughs> you! I was ultra renegade. I was a bastard. I deserve to die." He never heals mm-hmm. the facial scars. His face is fucked up. He's just angry, so he's just like, "Yep, mm-hmm. out the airlock, out the airlock, out the airlock." <laughs> Um, but yeah, even in all of those playthroughs, I was like, no, destroy, 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 over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. So I, I completely agree with you. My opinion on it was blue felt like, I'm just going to go color coding here because that's what it kind of was. Mm-hmm. But the blue was the control ending. And that always felt like a defeat of like what your whole goal in the game was. Mm. Like, it, it was definitely the, oh, I want power, I want to control the Reapers. But to me, it was like, no, my whole goal was to get rid of the Reapers. Why would I want to be king of the Reapers? That seems stupid. Yeah. The green ending, I thought, jinx, my dog's barking. Okay. <laughs> 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 the, the green ending, um, it, it for me, like, it, it everything wrapped up all nicely. And my, my husband chose actually that uh, thing to begin with. But, um, dog? Anyway, <laughs> that's okay. He's just he's just translating the podcast for dogs. I, I, that's true. I think I think the mailman came, so now she's all corruptly about it. <laughs> but anyway, um, the green to me, I couldn't pick the green ending because uh, I'm I'm going to jinx. I couldn't pick the green ending because uh, it just felt wrong to give people this AI system without their consent. That, like, even though it was better for them and, like, everyone turned out all happy and better, it just felt weird to me to force this thing upon the entire universe right? without letting anyone else know. And, like, maybe it turned out better, like, in, in the, slide, the little slideshow it gave you, maybe everything turned out for the better there, but overall we don't really know. Like, I highly doubt everything was all happy-go-lucky after that. There probably would have been some troubles. So I also chose the destroy ending. Um, one, because I did kind of want my shepherd to survive and go run off with Garrus, but also because it just felt like what you were trying to do the entire time. It felt like the true ending to me. And I almost feel like the game felt that too, which is why it kind of has that last minute from Shepard. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I guess that, that is the central topic whenever anyone brings up synthesis is the issue of consent. Mm-hmm. The issue of not even just consent, but like lack of consent and lack of any warning uh, whatsoever. And and also it does feel a little, I mean, 
there are many things that could be considered space magic-y at that point, but I don't yeah. I don't know if it was ever entirely clear why Shepard's quote-unquote essence was the thing that was needed to do synthesis. Like, could it have been any person? Could it have been, you know, yeah, could whatever? You, did it even need to be a person? Could you just grab, like, some dead body and, like, throw it in there? And, like, could you, Right, could you throw a husk? Could you throw a geth? Could you throw... Yeah. Could could you throw that? Uh, granted, he was an AI child, but could you throw a little child in there? Like, like how many how many things could you chuck? And what would happen? Would a di- would a different um, host keep doing? Like, if you throw a, a geth in there, does everybody turn into a geth? If, you, if, you throw- if if I throw my dog in there, would everyone bark during the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> That's what happened. Don't do that. Uh, I love her. <laughs> <laughs> so it, uh, yeah, so that that is, I guess, it's like the main um, the the main topic is is the and you know obviously like I said I love the destroy ending so I just tend to think yeah that's kind of like the be all end all you can't you can't do all of that to people especially people who might be patently opposed to implants they might be pat I mean the the catalyst kind of tries to make the point that you know hey Shepard like you have lots of implants like you were brought back to life in part by implants it's like well that's you but what if there's like some traditionalist um, person or a whole society a whole planet of people that are patently mm-hmm. opposed to it and then like what happens after you force that on them does some does some person or some significant group of people like is there like some mass like suicide that happens like it can get really dark of like people who are like i can't live like this do you end up killing people indirectly so so those have been my general thoughts but yeah i do kind of have a bit of a devil devil's advocate in me that thinks you know like if you look at like modern day like real life comparisons like how long are we going to be able to keep going before somebody's just like, it doesn't make any sense not to take the help. It doesn't, you know, at, at what point a hundred years or 200 years in the future um, are people who refuse some sort of cybernetic enhancement? Are those, gonna, I mean, this is going to sound really controversial. I'm going to offend somebody, <laughs> but are those people going to end up being like, you know, vac deniers, like vaccine deniers. Like at, at what point? I is was it, thinking that too, to be honest. <laughs> at what point is it going to be so helpful that you're like, how could you not give your child the the implant that's going to like correct their hearing or their vision or their motor functions? Like, how could you not? I would say that the only difference between the anti-vax, because I'm sorry, if you're anti-vaxxer, I don't think we can be friends because that's something I have really personal about. But like the anti-vax movement is the one thing that's different about the cybernetic enhancement. Cybernetic enhancement, for the most part, it only affects you. Anti-vaxxers, if you're not vaccinated and there's a bunch, like, you could pass that on. You could be in in a carrier for that to someone who is not able to get the vaccine or whatever. It does affect others. Where Mm -hmm. I don't think that's necessarily true. Well, although maybe it is. I don't know. Like, maybe there is a cybernetic enhancement where you can't get sick. I don't know. But yeah, I, I guess that's the difference I see where anti-vaxxers, there is some element of, like, you can hurt other people where cybernetics is so, f- at, at least in my mind, it really only affects one person. Although I guess, like, if you're a parent and you're like, oh, my kid's going to have, um, like, a, be wheelchair bound, like, in, in a, what's, there's, like, a, the one disease where like you can't move your entire body for the most part the one that Stephen Hawking's had ALS is that it I think so yeah if you have that but if you have a cybernetic enhancement it's like that wouldn't affect you like of course which well when no one's actually born with ALS or right out, right out of the womb so that's more of an adult decision but um it, in a way we kind of have that argument now with um uh I took a, a deaf culture class when I was in college and like the deaf people are very against co- cochlear and 
fuck. The, the implants you put in your head that I can't pronounce. Uh, Terse of the Sea. Cochlear Holy. implants? That's it. They're yeah. really against it because it takes away their culture. So how many of, like, um, the deaf, maybe even blind people, I don't know. How many pe- How many kind of small cultures would we be accidentally getting rid of with, um, uh, even with just a synthetic ending? Like, it's suddenly people would be able to hear again or see again, walk again. Like, uh, my, my husband did a, a commercial kind of thing for a wheelchair basketball thing. Like, if they were <laughs> able to walk again, they wouldn't need a whole team. But a lot of their people, a lot of them put, like, their life into this wheelchair basketball stuff. So getting rid of all of that, suddenly, like, those people would be like, oh, well... I kind of liked my old life. Like <laughs> that is I don't know. profoundly <clears throat> interesting. Like honestly, like the fact that like, deaf culture and the wheelchair. Like you're right. I, I, I'm sitting here like I might need a couple of days to process that. That is pro- uh, <laughs> that is profoundly interesting. And that's one thing I really. If you in your college or wherever have a chance to take sign language, do it. One because like I have surprisingly actually used it just in my day to day life. You do come around deaf people, and two, it's really interesting to see their argument for why you shouldn't give your children cochlear implants. To be like, well, they, there's going to be an open like as long as you're willing to like learn sign language with your child, like they will have a community that will automatically love them and support them. And this is something that's really like it really is a part of their whole personhood is this deaf and deaf culture. So it is very interesting. Um, mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've known a couple of people who are at least partially deaf and, I, and I've and I've been sort of exposed to kind of like, yeah, that that idea of taking pride in, in who you are because of that not feeling sorry for yourself. And mm-hmm. one of the things that's very interesting that someone told me um, about potentially having some sort of hearing device, um, it, it was very interesting because I'd never heard anyone say this. It's like if you have something like that, people do tend to sometimes feel sorry for you. And the comparison that they made, which I, which absolutely floored me, I thought it was stunning, was that nobody feels sorry for you if you wear glasses. Mm-hmm. And I thought, how incredibly interesting. And it's, and it's all based on the name because glasses are a seeing aid, but we don't call it a seeing aid. We call hearing devices a hearing aid. And if we had some other name for it, like sound, or I don't know what the equivalent is of glasses, right? Like, <laughs> but it's just, it, perhaps there wouldn't be such a stigma around it. And I think that's also part of it. And so, yeah, th- that is, that is like a really interesting aspect of the synthesis or of any sort of like implant, cybernetic implants is, yeah, you take away a culture from people who have actually gone beyond just making peace with that. They've actually started to identify with it. Mm-hmm. Which I, because I can already see the comments, there's going to be a lot of people like, well, maybe the people in the culture currently are going to be sad that like the way of life is ending, but wouldn't it be better for the new generation to not know strife and not have to even need the culture and they're just accepted to lar- the culture in large. And, you know, maybe I, there, I, I think it's the small picture versus the big picture. Like maybe in the big picture, it, may, it would be better to not have anyone who's deaf like they'd be able to fit into the bigger world but like you do have to say like isn't it sad we do lose this very interesting and rich culture of like deaf history or blind or whatever like any disability like that is a loss we are losing something with the synthesis ending. right so <clears throat> i think i think so kind of um I'm gonna. It's kind of going away from AI a little bit, but I'm kind of kind of trying to bring it back because I think it's a, it's another interesting distinction between Mass Effect original trilogy and Andromeda. When we mm-hmm. started to talk about the like anti-vax stuff, or also, I mean, we could even get into um, what if I'm if I'm 
referencing referencing this correctly is it gene splicing or like the um like before the baby's born they can go in and change some of the stuff about dna like they're, they're talking about getting rid of the um yeah like I, I don't know what the science name of it but <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah i don't know either but basically like being able to like make slight genetic alterations before the child is born to sort of like identify and get rid of precursors for certain diseases heart disease whatever things that are genetic diseases it's like yeah maybe there are some risks involved but if you don't do that what what greater risk is there um they have that little side quest where you get to talk to that couple in the original mass effect trilogy where it's it's the mother and her husband died and it's it's his brother Mm-hmm. Um, that started off in Mass Effect 1 and they carry that decision you know you, you run into their little side conversations in the trilogy I thought that was super interesting I mean that's like yeah. such a side side conversation <clears throat> I'm not kidding I sat there for like 30 minutes trying to decide what I should suggest to them mm-hmm. and that's that's like I mean let's be honest that's like a direct analog to the vaccine thing I mean that's pretty much social commentary right up front um, I'm, I'm really disappointed that they didn't do something like that with AI in Andromeda. Like, I really felt like they could have dealt with that very directly as far as, like, do the Milky Way races need some sort of implants going forward to keep up in Andromeda or don't they? And what are the pluses and minuses of that? Instead, it was just, no, Sam's awesome. There's no drawback to having Sam. You'd be stupid not to have Sam. You can't get rid of him. And I just feel like that would have been a really cool um, sort of like gut-wrenching decision or like another big Bioware pro-con, which side are you on kind of a thing that they missed out on. Yeah, there, which I think is kind of the tragedy of Andromeda, where there there is a lot of potential there, but this because of the one year time limit or whatever it was, it just kind of <laughs> did not happen because they were just so scrambling to find something slightly presentable. But I, I here's a question I wanted to pose. So the voice actress who for which fun facts the voice actress for Sam is the same voice actress for Calperny and Dragon Age Inquisition. Da da. But um, so uh, to her performance was very computer like, which I don't think is her fault. Like I think that is what she was directed to do. And versus Edie's, which is. Even though it had a computer twinge to it, there was a lot of humanity there. Do you think our vision of Sam being a lot less human is because of the voice direction? Hmm. You know, I never I never thought of that. I do think that it's interesting that you mentioned Edie. Um, Trisha Helfer, I feel like her performance, it must be conscious. I have to imagine it's deliberate. At least to me, starts to sound progressively more human. Mm-hmm. Like as she goes, it, it's she, the intonations and like the little inflections, even the speech patterns, even when it's right up front. And it's kind of funny how she starts to pull like mannerisms and colloquialisms, especially yeah. from Joker. Um, so <laughs> she, she definitely gets more human. Um, I actually found um, Sam's voice to be quite pleasant. Um, I actually enjoyed oh, it yeah. all the way through. And so I'm, never... I'm not saying it was bad. It just it was very computerized. So I didn't know if that drew back the human. And another thing to question is because Sam didn't actually have a face. Like it had a ball, but the ball didn't really do anything. Like even Legion, it had like eyebrows and like a, a couple of facial expressions where Sam was just kind of floating orb, does nothing. So if if they had given uh Sam like when you go talk to it like maybe a like maybe it changes color or maybe it like shrinks in size or something to kind of give it a a a body language, would we then attribute more humanity to it? 
So that, that actually makes me think of a, of a couple of different things, um, which is one that I think Sam is kind of stuck in the middle in a sense between mm-hmm. being more human or being like strictly speaking AI and sort of like proud of that in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of impossible because he has a symbiotic relationship with Ryder. He's kind of designed to be the bridge or the, the in-between. Um, but then you mentioned his physical representation, um, which to me makes me think of the way that AI are handled in the Halo franchise, in the Halo series, where each artificial intelligence chooses a sort of distinct look. Some of them choose historical figures. Some of them choose some from Greek mythology. Cortana has her specific look. And there's one particular AI, which is became one of my favorites from the Kilo 5 series of novels by Karen Travis in the Halo series called BB or Black Box. And he is very proudly AI. And he so his physical representation is a black cube. And he's very adamant about the fact that, like, I'm not going to mimic a human. I'm not going to make myself look like a human. Like, I'm an AI and that's it. That brings up something that just came up to my my mind. But what if um, Sam had a side quest and it was a lot like that? And also Cole's side quest in Dragon Age Inquisition. <gasps> Will you try to influence if it became if if Sam became more human like or more AI like? That first one that is brilliant. Two, <laughs> I, I I almost feel bad about how many good ideas we're coming up for that should have been in Andromeda. <laughs> Because it's making it worse. Like, I have this urge to replay Andromeda again, and I'm just like, why isn't it better? I, like, I want to come back to this, because I also have the same urge, and I'm having a hard struggle with it. But I I just love this idea of, like, what if, like, we could, like, kind of what you were saying with the black box, we can encourage Sam to take a face or keep um, the ball shape. Like, no, like, we, we should be one, we should be human, everyone should be human, humans, great, great, human, human. Or Sam, be yourself, you can do whatever the fuck you want. If you want to be a ball or a cube or a, a, a what's on my desk, a ruler, like, do whatever you want. So that, that would have been so cool. Which, I, I, again, coming back to, we feel bad about saying all these cool ideas for Andromeda. We've been, like, we've, we really only talk extensively on these podcasts. And I say we've had... Maybe two good podcasts, including this one, talking about Mass Effect Andromeda stuff. We talked about it for two hours, and we have better ideas than they had in a year. Oh. <laughs> like we're five episodes in, and I think we've like fixed half of Andromeda's lack of like depth and substance. Yeah, like granted, you might be able to say like, oh, well, it's kind of already been done with Cole versus Spirit and whatever, because I do think there is some similarities in the argument of is Spirit's people in the Dragon Age series, mm-hmm. but. At the same time, like, girl, something better than nothing. Like, <laughs> it's still an interesting theory. Maybe it has a different skin on it. You've already done it before. But, like, it is still interesting to think about. And also, uh, using that uh, analogy or borrowing from the more spirit-like or more human-like sort of choice, doing that with AI adds a whole nother layer to AI because I really feel like the the dichotomy or the choice between AI throughout Mass Effect is more like good or bad. Like, are, can mm. they be trusted or can they not? But if you look at the progression of AI, whether it's Legion, whether it's Sam, whether it's Edie, it's always sort of like, um, it's it's very linear. It's always sort of framed in such a way that be, that AI becoming more organic is the correct thing. And I especially feel like with Legion, there should have been the case made that like, well why why is organic necessarily better and could you invert or could you subvert people's expectations about machine-like 
or um, synthetic, being more synthetic isn't necessarily bad. Maybe for certain individuals, their identity is more fulfilled being more synthetic. That would have been really interesting if like, because at least in my memory, the whole Geth thing was they were one collective and making them more organic would split all the units apart. What if um, after all this happened, maybe, I don't know if you'd be able to even explore this Mass Effect 3 or what, I don't remember in the timeline of what happens. Um, uh, What if a couple of them says, no, I don't like being one unit, I want to go back to being collective, when then the Geth have like a civil war of collective versus individual. Like, that would be something interesting to explore. I don't know how you'd be able to do that in Andromeda or whatever, but yeah, this more argument towards machine being okay on its own and like you don't have to be organic i think would have been a really interesting way to take um which maybe that is what they were going because well not really i know i'm thinking of uh the uh, angaran being technically a, a made species mm, yeah so and if they are kind of organic ai in a way because like there, were, there was something weird with like uh, past lives maybe like that's them downloading memories or transferring the ai or something like that i don't know I think it also like all of these ideas that we've kind of touched on, if you put them together, they, they become kind of synergistic. Like if you take the, if you make the dichotomy like synthetics becoming more synthetic or becoming more human-like, and then you talk about the cybernetic implant issue and the synthesis issue, it's sort of like you have all the way organic with with the organic uh, species being purist or encouraging synthetics to become more organic then you've got synthetic beings becoming more synthetic and then you have the middle of like human beings who want to be have cybernetics and be in the middle like i feel like mm-hmm. all of those become more impactful together now you mentioned deus ex and i want to ask about it because i have not played it is that the plot of deus ex because i have no idea <laughs> yes i was actually i was sitting here going like did i mention deus ex i think i did i think you yeah, I think you meant. I, I already forgot what the thing is. Everyone can rewind, but I I can't rewind my time. But I, yeah, you mentioned it. I'm assuming you played it. I have not. I just know there's some sort of like in implant based plots, but I I didn't know if like we're saying all these cool things and the reason they didn't go with it because oh that's just Deus Ex. <laughs> so so yes, a little bit, and so that's actually so interesting because I wanted to bring up Deus Ex. Um, mm-hmm. I played you know the original and Deus Ex two back in the day, obviously. Um, I never played Deus Ex Human Revolution, and I never played the sequel to Human Revolution until Is recently. I'm actually, of course, kind of in the middle of a Human Revolution playthrough. Uh, okay. I love it. It's it's a little bit older now, so I guess it's from like 2011 or something, but it's like just really, really deep um, branching storylines and conversation wheel. Anyone, for whatever reason, if you're a fan of Mass Effect and Bioware games, and for whatever reason you're like me, you just skipped out on Human Revolution, go play it. Because the dialogue trees and branches are very deep, and there's great variety in how plot and how plots conclude, and how you can handle missions. So you would love it. But um, yeah, they do deal with this head on, which is like, what is humanity? What what does it mean to be human? Um, what does it mean to have these implants? Is it good? Is it bad? Um, there's an element of class involved, right? Because of like the money involved. There's all these different things. Um, so yeah, I imagine that that maybe Bioware was was mindful of that, but especially because Bioware has the element of um, like these really super intelligent artificial intelligences that you create relationships with. I feel like it would have been distinct because of the relationships you can build with AI characters. Okay. 
I, I will take your word for it because I haven't played the game, but it, it kind of sounds to me like you're saying, like, even though Deus Ex touched upon that Mass Effect, w- or the, this new Mass Effect, Andromeda would have had a interesting take on it. Uh, Deus Ex does it in a... And it, it's hard to describe. I guess they just do it in a very Deus Ex way. Like, playing through it, it's vaguely similar, but it's, it's also... It's like defining distinct. a word with the word. <laughs> <laughs> Deus Ex is very Deus Ex. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, what else was it? Okay, so... There, there's, I guess, a couple of other things that I should mention at least briefly. Um, well, let me mention this now because it's probably the best segue. The Zatiel, right? And we, we kind of briefly touched on this in, in prep, in pre-show. Like, mm-hmm. So the Zatiel, we were talking about like all of the different AI things that we should include, like which characters and, and which, you know, the Geth, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I guess we haven't really talked about the Reapers too much. I guess we could in a way, although ultimately aren't the Reapers just... They're like, or they're almost like the synthetic ending, but that's an, you, you also bring up the reason why I didn't like the synthetic ending. We essentially became the Reapers, but prettier. Yes. Yeah, so... Because that, that's what Reapers are, right? They're like an entire mm-hmm. species or an entire planet sort of forced oh, into what, this. What if, uh, tinfoil, tinfoil fan theory time, what if... Things weren't actually prettier, but our synthetic eyes are making it look like that. Oh, that's like uh, that's like real. Uh, what's it called? Um, what was the theory again? The indoctrination theory. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it. I. It's been so long since I've even looked at it that maybe that is a part of the indoctrination theory. I don't. It, it would fit very well, right? Like basically, we are making that human reaper, but once you do it, it looks like something prettier. You're right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, Reapers, I, I don't know, for some reason, Reapers don't feel like the traditional, like they don't struggle with that notion of, am I, does this unit have a soul? Like, to what degree should I alter my programming to become more organic? Because they were sort of crafted purposefully to change an entire organic civilization into this thing. So I kind of feel like they wouldn't struggle with that same that would have been interesting if they went there, but at the same time, that would have humanized the Reapers, which I don't think they really want to go in that direction. So. Yeah. So I guess maybe before we touch on the Zatiel, because there's not too much yeah. there. We don't know much about them. But like, I guess since we're kind of touching on the Reapers, um, the Catalyst. I mean, the Catalyst certainly is an AI created by the Leviathan. That is such an interesting and complex story that I don't think sometimes gets as much um, analysis as it deserves. I remember at one time I wrote up this whole huge long thing about the Leviathan. But yeah, I mean, they basically did create an AI um, that to me, that to me, the catalyst essentially fails, right? The, The catalyst was essentially made to keep the thrall species uh, that served the Leviathan safe and somehow arrived at the conclusion that it should destroy them all periodically <laughs> in order to keep them safe. Um, I don't know. Is the, Wait, ca- is the Catalyst a good AI? Like, is it, is it interesting or does it feel shallow to you? I guess my first question. The, so um, I didn't know about the Leviathan until I was looking at the DLC. Because I think they only really talk about the Leviathan in the Leviathan DLC, don't they? For the most part. And they or... added that DLC adds what, maybe like two dialogue options to the final conversation? Because you can ask the Catalyst about them. Oh, you can? Uh, yeah. Well, see, I didn't have... The only DLC I had um, was the one for Javik and the one for uh, the the big uh, fan service party. Yeah, that one. That's the only ones I've had. Um, 
plus any free ones. So um, I I think it's really shitty of Bioware to have that really interesting story uh, and almost necessary story locked away in DLC, but whatever, that's not what we're talking about. Um, the, the catalyst to me, one, why did it take the form of a little boy? Which maybe that's just like because Shepard was like really had some trauma with the little boy. But why would they choose to do that other than like, don't shoot me, I'm something precious. It felt very manipulative, I guess is what I'm trying yeah, to say. Yeah, literally no one knows. Like that is honestly one of mm-hmm. the things that they never address. And it's super annoying because it's infuriatingly dumb. <laughs> I I guess how I read it, because um, I went into the series like well after all the drama, I just is like, well, I know this part's going to be shit, but let's whatever. It felt kind of manipulative to me that like, oh, I'm going to be something that's been disturbing to you. I'm going to be the children you've seen die. That would kind of like maybe stay the hand of you trying to destroy it or whatever. Because I think Mm. when you go towards the destroy ending, doesn't it like beg you to not do that? I can't remember now. It it uh, yeah the the little apparition of the little ghost child star child s- sort of appears at the bottom of the ramp and it it doesn't necessarily beg but it kind of like states its case again of like why are you doing this blah blah blah. Yeah, so it almost it, like I and I think that to, that moment the fact that it took the form of a little boy and something that had been bothering my character that felt so manipulative that was like anything you say after this I'm not going to listen to because you're trying to manipulate me I see through that. And I don't like that. I don't appreciate that. So that that's actually um, that's, I, I guess I would say it's evil then. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's actually even more interesting because the Leviathan uh, were a mind controlling species. Like I feel like that's mm-hmm. one of the things that's really overlooked about the Leviathan. And in, and I did not know that vis a vis in about the Catalyst is that the Leviathan were not a good species. Like they were not. They basically enslaved the entire galaxy through mind control through some sort of organic mind control uh and they created the catalyst because essentially they had mind control abilities over all of the lesser races but it wasn't some of them were not totalitarian um they required tribute um so basically they were controlled but they had enough autonomy to have some sort of economy of their own some sort of they produced for the leviathan uh, mm-hmm. And so in, in being productive thrall species and productive slave races, um, they created AI and then the AI kept destroying them. And so the Leviathan being semi-benevolent, we're like, well, we don't really care about the, if we cared about them, we wouldn't treat them as slaves, but we care about them enough that we want to protect our slaves from themselves. Mm-hmm. That's why they created the catalyst, which was to solve that problem somehow, which is like, there's so many ways you can criticize that of like, we have a problem with our slave species making this mistake of creating AI to solve their problems. So we're going to create an AI to solve our problems. <laughs> it's problematic in and of itself. Um, but yeah, so basically the catalyst was essentially, I mean, this is going to sound kind of harsh or maybe it's like not the proper comparison, but kind of as like a slave master AI. It's like, hey, we're going to create this AI to keep our slave races in check um, I was never, I was, I never found it to be a compelling argument that somehow the catalyst is is good. It's like, no, you exist because the Leviathan wanted to enslave the galaxy, and that was backfiring on them. the The amount of autonomy that they were giving to their slave species led to the production of AI races that were destroying them. And if they fully dominated the thrall species, that was kind of like indoctrination. It sort of shortens their lifespan, or it may, it, at some point, it completely dumbs them down. 
So they couldn't do that either. And so the catalyst was sort of made to like manage them. And, and so coming back to your original point about the little boy and it being manipulative, that just clicked in my brain of like, oh yeah, the catalyst is meant to help keep slave species in check. Subtle psychological manipulation would be the way to do that other than like the overpowering organic mind control of the Leviathans. So what you said, like that totally clicked for me of like, oh yeah, that's what the catalyst was meant to do was manipulate people into doing what it wants. I'm glad I accidentally had the correct assumption then when I was playing the game like <laughs> four years are ago. Correct. Yes. <laughs> um, we're running out of time, so I quickly want to talk about it. Um, just because I think it's good to air this out on the air. Uh, you said you're having trouble uh, going back into Andromeda. A bit, yeah. Uh, why, why are you having trouble? Because I'm having the same thing. Well, it's a combination of things. Number one, it's just a classic, like, I'm a nerd, I'm a gamer, and I overload my my rotation rotating wheel of games that I'm playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm playing, um, like I said, Deus Ex uh, Human Revolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm playing uh, Divinity 2, which just came out, which is uh, same. quite fun. And I couldn't fully get into the first Divinity. I liked it, but um, it's just been a while since I've played isometric RPGs and stuff like that and CRPGs. Um, Divinity mm-hmm. 2 is a little more accessible. I appreciate the fact that it's fully voice acted, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, and then I like sports games because I played sports when I was younger. So I'm also playing NBA 2K, the new one. <laughs> Um, and so like all of that, trying to play all of that. And then it's like, oh yeah, Andromeda. I was in the middle of a second playthrough slash third playthrough. And so that's partly it. And then I have forever been meaning to make a video about this, but Andromeda has a really, really bad pacing problem. And I feel like sometimes, uh, this might be something that I do as part of the relay series, People complain about like quote unquote bad writing or quote unquote bad plot and they don't sort of have the training or the skills to identify specifically what that means or what that is. Mm -hmm. Um, Andromeda has a very specific pacing issue around Havarl and Vold. When you get to that Mm -hmm. sort of open where you can sort of choose which one to go to first, you kind of have some autonomy. It's a sort of semi-branching, semi-open world part of the game. Um, they really lose the pacing at that point. There basically is no pacing. It's sort of this void without urgency, um, without clarity about where you should go. And it's meant to make you feel like you have openness and freedom, but instead makes you feel like nothing is important and you're doing a bunch of fetch quests. And then on top of that, the world designed for those two planets is really bland and really not interesting. And when I get to that point in the game... I just go, huh, okay, I could spend the next hour getting through these quests or I could go play Deus Ex Human Revolution and see like really interesting quests that have a lot of branching, you know, et cetera. See, my my problem is, I, I, I guess it is also based in the pacing, but another thing I'm having trouble with is that I just can't, this could be really shallow, I just can't get past the character creator because I feel like no matter what I do, do, it's not mine in mm. a way and that really bothers me a little bit I, even though i'm like pumping those mods in like something about it i'm just like this the facial structure just looks so like it's still 
no matter I feel like no matter what you do in the character creator, the facial structure still just looks like the base head. Like nothing you can do can fuck with it. And so like I tried to just roll the character I had to begin with, which so I upgraded my computer in between when I first played it and now. Oh nice. Um and my graphics were so shitty on the first computer that it looked different. So I was like, oh this doesn't look like anyone else's because it looked like she had a pixel for a head. But when, when I put it <laughs> onto the head. new one Yeah, pixel head. I was like, oh okay, this is cool. But when I put it in the new one it like it just looks like I've seen 10 of those and it, it kind of says oh well this isn't my story this is everyone else's story so it kind of that bothers me but then also it it is as much as I do like the beginning it's such a slog to get through because it's it's just like oh and you can't save through any of the main missions which can you so you really have to do you really just have to do a marathon playthrough of like the prologue and I think the first time you're able to save is like well after you wake up from the ai stuff so yes that is true and yeah the character creator is kind of a thing i will say for people that have watched uh the the 4k playthrough that i've uploaded um if you just do default writer with a male writer with a couple of mods he does look way better uh especially if you remove the stubble or you alter the stubble there's a couple of mods that make the Mm -hmm. stubble look uh actually sort of handsome and not like kind of like hobo-ish um yeah (laughs) Uh, also, I sent you a link for uh, the Rebel writer complexion. That's a pretty good female writer. That That is one where if the next time I do a female playthrough, I'm probably going to use that mod. That that does look like a nice complexion. A lot of the complexions, sometimes you see make them look like plastic Barbie dolls, and it drives me crazy. But this right. one actually looks nice. Yeah. And then if you add some of the tattoo mods, it's actually quite good. I wanted to add a tattoo mod. I just couldn't find one that I was in love with. Although the one here with the moth looks pretty cool. Is yeah. this new? When did this come out? I think it was around when I started my other playthrough a few months ago. But I think it's updated now. I'm not I sure. I must have missed this one. Well, that one looks, I'll, I'll check that one out. Anyway, um, let's let's talk about the Zatiel. Yeah, I do feel like some people kind of forgot about the Zatiel. And we don't know much about them. There's really the there's, <laughs> there's really just the one conversation where Javik is commenting on the Geth and in a larger respect on the Reapers and mentions that there was this ancient synthetic race called the Zatiel. And they mm-hmm. were formed from an ancient race, one of the, if I'm not mistaken, one of the subjugated races or maybe... It was a race called the Za. So there was the Za, and they they chose to begin to enhance themselves with cybernetic implants and AIs inside their brains, and this formed the Zatiel, uh, which I guess just mm-hmm. means like artificial or synthetic Za. And this is what was this is what started the uh, what was it called the Metacon War, and that was like the big that was like the big war that was like the quarian geth war before the reapers started their harvest in in during the prothean cycle mm-hmm. and it's interesting because it really forms a lot of Javik's views on synthetics, which is just like, purely speaking, synthetic is bad. Synthetic races are bad. You should wipe out these geth, you know, shoot them out the airlock kind of a thing. Um, but I just thought it was interesting that like the Zatiel were a race, unlike the Quarians who made robot slaves, they chose willingly to start incorporating these cybernetics and these AIs into themselves and it specifically, I, I think it specifically says in the Codex entry, or Javik maybe also mentions it, that the fact that they had that is what made the Reapers able to come in and start. Uh, they took them over very early. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it was even... Yeah, I think it, I think it is basically insinuated or either maybe even directly stated that the Reapers started the Metacon War sort of 
um, furtively or clandestinely because they were they were affecting the zatil without the proteins and the zatil knowing that it was the reapers who were doing it. So they mm-hmm. started the Metacon War to weaken the Protheans first, and then once the Protheans were involved in this war with the Zatiel, that's when the Reapers started their full-scale invasion. Um, it was basically like it was basically like a an analog for the Geth conflict being followed up by the Reapers. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I, I vaguely remember Javik mentioning this, but it didn't really like. I don't remember any of these interesting details. <laughs> It becomes, I guess, like a good counter argument to what we were talking about earlier with the synthetic mm-hmm. ending. Like, if you were to say, like, no, syn- synthesis would be good, and like, you know, or the Deus Ex sort of viewpoint of like, well, it's all sort of heading that way anyway. You know, I guess the Reapers, or you could say even like the Jardan and Andromeda, et cetera, et cetera. If there's if there's a hyper powerful synthetic race out there somewhere, are you making yourself susceptible to hacking, essentially, to being reprogrammed? Um, However, there is also the argument to be made that the Leviathan were mind-controlling people through some sort of biology. Yeah, like I was going to say, like, uh, chemical weapons, like, granted, there's nothing, like, as extreme as mind control uh, something or, like, anything that makes you go crazy. But, like, there are ways that people wage war via chemicals and biology. So, like, it's not exactly a new concept to say, like, oh, well, if if you were synthetic, you'd be susceptible to attacks. Well, you are the same for biology. But... I feel like with synthetics, because it's completely man-made, you understand it better, so it's easier to make the, the I'm going to call them viruses, the computer viruses, mm-hmm. to make you be mind-controlled. So I, I guess you could say that the Leviathan were able to mind-control everyone through biology, but it seems like, at least in the history we know, in the history of the Mass Effect universe and then the, uh, the Javik, they were the only ones to be able to do that that we know of. So in this long, 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 long history, there was only one race that was able to do that versus a bunch of them that were able to hack the AI. Yeah, that's so. all. That's also really true. Yeah, and besides, like biology, biology is a sensitive thing. I mean, if we, if we as humans, like in real life, actually acknowledged how many, how much our neurochemistry and how much like sleep patterns and dietary effects actually affected our mood and what we think of as our personality, oh my god, mm-hmm. we would realize that we're like little machines being fucked with by like you have too much sugar, like you don't have enough uh, sleep, like you have these weird uh, emotional spikes during blah blah blah. It's like. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of medicine, like um, my my parents are in the medical field, and a lot of the times, like I'll ask a question, like "Mom, Dad, why is like X or Y happening?" And they're like, "Oh, I don't know." Like, <laughs> and, and I'm like, "Well, you guys don't know." I'm like, "No, no." Like in in medical knowledge, we have no idea how like the brain works or like a bunch of other things. And there's a lot of medicine out on the market. Um, there's there's one prescription medication, and not prescription, non prescription medication that's um really common. I can't remember what it is now, but, like, no one really knows how it works. It just does. It just makes the headaches go away, and no one really knows why. Like, there's just a couple of things that we take in our body daily that, like, it does work, but we don't know why. (laughs) I mean, and and not only that, but, like, there's, like, drugs that have become insanely popular. Like, Viagra was supposed to be, what, blood pressure or something? Yeah, uh, it's, uh, um, uh, some people actually take Viagra and not just to um like if they have thin blood i think they'll just take it to like help the blood not be as thin so actually some people are prescribed viagra when even if they're female not to just get boners 
So, yeah, it was started out with being a blood thickener, maybe, or a blood thinner. I don't know. Uh-huh. But it was something with the blood. And then they're like, oh, this gives men boners. Let's remarket it and <laughs> throw it over there. It's like, yeah, this so, weird side effect, that's not a flaw. That's a feature. We got a billion-dollar product on our hands. <laughs> and it works because we were able to say about, like, how many prescription drugs can you just, like, rattle off the name? Like, Viagra is really one of the few. Yeah. So. And on that note, folks... <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Uh, <laughs> Talking about boners. Right, like a- AI, like what it means to be human. Does this unit have a soul? Uh, anti-vax. What what role do synthetics have in our future? And dick pills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's that's the level of intellectual discourse that we get uh, get to here. We're doing good. Doing good. I have to ask before I end though, what race did you play in Divinity? Uh, human. Yeah, I, I, I went kind I, of boring. I, I always play elf because that's my whatever. And what do you think? I don't know if you've come across as the elves being cannibals. Uh, and like, and yeah, cannibals, but like zo- not zombie cannibals, but like they, they get the memories by eating body parts. Yeah. At first that really was like, ooh, that's weird. But I'm kind of warming up to it. And it's kind of a cool mechanic. And anyway, guys, if you are looking for something to fill your heart and you love fantasy games and you don't know what to do before the next Dragon Age, check out Divinity. I'm having a lot of fun. And this is the first time I've played a fantasy game in a while. And I'm like, the fun is happening. It's been forever (laughs) since this has happened. Anyway, uh, so I I think with that, shall we say goodbye? Yeah, I think we're good uh, to wrap up. If people want to find me, um, still really no Twitter or, I mean, I'm on Reddit under my personal account, but really just look for me on YouTube under the Exalted March. Mm-hmm. And you can find me on YouTube as Gilderthalen. I'm actually on Twitter at Gilderthalen, and then I'm on Reddit as Gilanon. So PM me if you want to suggest a topic. We love, we would love to hear from you guys. All right, and with that, Daresh, you're all. <laughs>